This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Thank you so much that we get to uh, be here with you this morning. There are a thousand other places we could be, but we believe, and so we come because this is the best place to be. Would you speak to us? Would you guide us as we open up uh, the Bible and your Word? Would you help it to go in through our ears, sink deep into our hearts, so that we could live it out and experience freedom and experience transformation? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys again. Thank you to so many of you who welcomed us back. We had an incredible time. My wife and I have been in Italy for the past two weeks, and it's good to be back, but man, it was good to be gone, if you know what I mean. Like, it was just really nice. Hey, when you came in, you should have gotten a program inside of that. Among other things are teaching notes that you're going to want to pull out for this next part of our service, and a connect card. So go ahead and grab that. Start filling it out now, because I'll give you some ways to apply what we're going to learn a little bit later. So get those two things out, and you'll be set for what will be a great time. Like I said, we had an awesome time in Italy. We got to go uh, for, among other things, a sister-in-law's wedding and our six-year anniversary, and both of them were absolutely beautiful, over-the-top amazing. Uh, I haven't held my wife's hand so much since I think we were dating. I mean, there was some serious hand-holding going on. It was very just exciting to walk the streets with her and hang out with her, but enough about me. Uh, It was just really, really, really fun. One thing, though, that I didn't like about the trip was before we left on the trip, I had to create a will for the first time, which is is not that exciting for me because we were leaving our kids in Southern California with my folks for 10 days, and uh, so I had to decide. We had to decide who gets the kids if we die and who gets my collection of plaid shirts and cardigans. There were some, some serious decisions that had to be made. I mean, some really serious decisions that had to be made, which got me thinking about this topic that we've been exploring for going on four weeks now, which is heaven, hell, and the end of the world. We've come to a few discoveries. One is that we know as a community, because we believe what God says, we know that one day the world will end. We don't know when it'll end, uh, but we know that for each of us, it will end somewhere probably in the next 30, 40, 50 60 years. Although, and I don't mean to be morbid, it could end in the next 30, 40, 50 minutes. We just don't know for sure. But what we do know is there will be an end someday. And so we've just been exploring the realities. Like last week, Ron talked about hell, and I listened to the podcast. I thought he did a brilliant job uh, explaining that to us and sharing with us about hell and the eternal destination for those of us who just Choose not to experience and engage with God and his love and his forgiveness. Next week, I'm going to be preaching about heaven and rewards in heaven and our eternity in heaven. And I got to say, for some of you who were raised in a strongly Protestant background, some of the things that I'll say next week will make you question, am I a heretic? Now, I'm just going to throw that out there now. Uh, so you got to come back because I just hooked you in. Am I a heretic? Should you throw me out of the church? That's the question we'll be asking next week. Hopefully the answer is no, but I haven't finished the sermon yet. So last week, hell. Next week, heaven. This week, I thought we should look at what happens immediately after we die. 
So we've talked about eternity long time, can't really grasp it. What about five minutes after we die? What happens when the lights go down here and the sun comes up somewhere else? In that blink, when you close your eyes to this world and you open your eyes to eternity, what's it going to be like? I'm guessing you've wondered that at some point, maybe when a, a close friend died or a family member passed away, or maybe when the doctor said that the prognosis was positive, which you knew meant that it was going to be negative. At some point, we all come to the space where we have to ask ourselves, what happens next? What happens when I cross over the line from here to there? So we're going to be asking the question, what if anything will happen to me immediately after I die? But the bigger question, and this is the question that I hope you're asking every week, that I want, if you remember nothing else from this series, if you don't remember the scriptures we talked about, if you don't remember uh, the topics each week, the question I want you to remember is, does what happened on that day have any impact on how I live this day? That's the question for this series. Does that day, does eternity, does my last day on earth and what happens after that have any impact on my life this day? And if you can remember that question, if you can ask that question every day for the rest of your lives, your life will be transformed. You will experience more freedom, more joy, more healing in relationships, more fulfillment in work and life than ever before. If you continue to ask the question, does what happens on that day have any impact on my life today? Now, I'll be honest with you because I'm a pastor and I want to, and you're my friends. I have never died. I haven't. Therefore, I don't have firsthand knowledge about what happens immediately after I die. But Jesus has had that experience. And Jesus does talk about what happens immediately after we die in a parable that he tells. Now, if you aren't familiar with parables, parables are simply this. They're stories that have a a main thrust, a main direction, a main point. Sometimes they use everyday things to speak to a deep spiritual truth. Sometimes they're just stories that Jesus takes us to with characters that lead us somewhere, that guide us somewhere. And in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a very interesting parable or story with a main thrust about what happens immediately after death. Now, there are are a few things that really intrigue me about this parable that we're going to look at. The first is that Jesus seamlessly transitions from this life to the next life in the parable. And he speaks with incredible authority. He says, look, this is how it's going to be. Be aware. Understand this is what will happen to you when you die. And the second thing that strikes me about this parable, this story, is that this is the only time in any of Jesus' teachings, in his parables, where he actually gives someone a name. Usually his parables are just kind of with faceless, nameless characters. But this parable, he names someone, which has led some Jesus people, some people smarter than me, to think maybe this isn't a parable. Maybe it's a true story. Maybe this has actually happened to two people. Other people, also smarter than me, say, no, no, it's just a parable. To be honest with you, I don't know. What I do know is that Jesus speaks with incredible authority about what's going to happen to us immediately after we die. And there are some things in here that I think will be shocking if we open ourselves up to it. So let's go ahead and start out. The story is about a rich man and a poor man. And the interesting thing is that in Jewish culture, rich people were believed to be blessed by God. Poor people were believed to be cursed by God. 
And it didn't matter if you got your riches by unjust gains, if you were a cheat, a steal, a liar, and that's how you got rich. If you were rich, they believed God had blessed you. You had found God's favor. And if you were poor, or if you were crippled, or if you were blind, if you had a birth defect, they believed that you were somehow under God's curse. Either your family had done something against God, so God was cursing you, or you had done something against God, so God was cursing you. But Jesus tells this story which throws the whole thing upside down. And this is how he starts it. There was a rich man, and he was habitually dressed in purple and fine linen. Now, purple was the color of royalty. So basically, they're saying this guy had cash. He was blowing his nose with $100 bills. This guy had a lot of money. And he spent his life living joyously with splendor every day. And then there was a poor man, and this poor man's name was Lazarus. He laid by the gate of the rich man, and he was covered with sores, with these gaping wounds all over his body. And he just longed to be fed with the crumbs that were falling from the rich man's table. And even the dogs, and by the way, the dogs in Palestine were kind of seen as oversized rats. They were wild animals that kind of ran in packs. Even the dogs came up and they licked his sores. Just let that soak in for a minute. This guy is, he's the kind of guy that when you walk by him on the street, you don't look. You don't look him in the eye. You look the other way because you know if you actually looked at him, your heart would break just a little bit and you would die just a little bit inside because of his plight. Whether he deserved to be there or didn't doesn't really matter. By the time you actually come face to face with this man, your heart is breaking. That's, that's Lazarus in this story. Laying at the gate, covered in sores, can't even push the dogs away. They're licking his open wounds. Now, the poor man died. And he was carried away by angels to Abraham's bosom, which is a reference to heaven. Uh, Abraham was this father of the Jewish faith, uh, and where Abraham was is where you wanted to be. Abraham's bosom was a picture of heaven, and they say he's reclining at Abraham's chest because at a feast you would sit kind of sideways on the floor, and after the feast you would recline back with your head on the chest of the person next to you. And the person seated right next to Abraham was like the guest of honor. So this man has gone from being a nobody, a nothing, someone who was despised, to having great honor in heaven. And the rich man also died, and the rich man was buried. I'm just going to go ahead and say something. None of us really likes to talk about death too much. We don't like to think about it. We spend millions of dollars trying to avoid it. The majority of our health care bills rack up in the last few years of our life trying to prolong our life because we don't want to deal with death. But all of us are going to die. Some will die young. Some will die old. Some will die of natural uh, causes. Some of us will die of very unnatural causes. Three people every second die. Death is just a reality. And the other reality is that Jesus didn't shy away from the topic of death, but he dove into it. He talked about it. He gave us insights into it. And the first one that we're going to see in just a second is that after you die, you'll be wide awake. Five minutes after you die, you'll be wide awake. We're going to see that both of the men in this story were awake after they died. If you remember other stories about Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, when he was crucified, he looked over to the thief that was sitting next to him, And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Not someday, not at some point in the future. This day, today. When we die, there's an immediate taken to be with Jesus, and we are immediately awake. 
And the second thing that Jesus wants us to know, and we're going to see this in just a second, is that five minutes after we die, we're either going to be filled with gratitude for all that Jesus has done for us, or we're going to be filled with regret. There's no middle ground. Incredible gratitude or immense regret. Verse 23 goes on to say, in Hades, which is the reference to hell. It's the place of torment. It's the place of complete separation from God. It's the place that Ron talked about last week. In Hades, the rich man lifted his eyes up because he was in torment, and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus at his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger into water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus received bad things. But now he is being comforted, and you are in agony, because salvation is not dependent on how much money you have, how many nice things you do, and how many times you go to church, or how many life groups you join. Salvation is not dependent on how many parties you throw or how many vacations you take. Salvation, eternity, is sealed only by belief in God through Jesus Christ. And Lazarus had it, so he went to heaven, and the rich man did not. And he went to hell. Verse 26 says, And besides all this, between us in heaven and you, there's a great chasm that's been fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able to, and that none may cross over from there to us. When I was dating my wife, a good friend of mine who's a pastor down in San Francisco was driving with me, and he said, Kevin, while you're dating Maria, keep your eyes wide open. Look at everything about her. The good, the bad, the beautiful, the ugly. How is she when she is tired or hungry? How does she deal with money? How does she deal with people? Not only that, ask your friends to keep their eyes wide open. What do they think about Maria? What do they see? The good, the bad. Because this is your time to decide, is she the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with? He said, but once you decide that she's the person you want to spend the rest of your life with and you get married, close your eyes tight and never open them again. Because you've made a decision at that moment that's the decision that you will have for the rest of your life. And I thought it was the best advice I'd ever heard. Friends, some of us are here today, and we're checking out Jesus. We're dating Jesus. Our eyes are wide open. We're asking questions. Some of you are looking around this group of people and you're saying, do they really live what they believe? Do they really love each other the way they sing about loving each other? Do they really forgive the way that they say they forgive? And friend, if that's you today, I want to tell you I am so glad you're here. We created this church for you. A safe place to come and to check out God. To check out the reality of his love and his forgiveness and his grace And it's okay to be dating Jesus right now. But there will come a time when you'll have to make a decision. You'll have to close your eyes. And that decision you make will last into eternity. Just like when I decided to marry Maria, I had to close my eyes. There will be a day 
when you have to close your eyes. Because the decision that you make now, whether to metaphorically marry Jesus or not, will be the decision that you live with into eternity. When your eyes close for the last time and you wake up in eternity, you will either be filled with incredible regret because you never said yes to God. You never accepted his forgiveness, his love, his grace, and now you experience complete separation from him. Or you will be filled with incredible gratitude for all that God has because you'll be experiencing things like the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians where he says, there are things which your eyes have not seen and your ears have not heard, and there are things that have never even entered into your heart. All the things that God has prepared for those who love him. See, when we get to eternity, we're going to see things that we've never dreamed of. We're going to hear things that we never thought we'd hear sound so beautiful that they bring tears to our eyes. And there are going to be dreams that become reality that have never even entered into our hearts because God loves us and he's preparing a place for us. But the reality is the choice we make in this life will be the choice that we live with in eternity. And finally, we will reflect on our lives with crystal clarity five minutes after we die. In verse 27, the man said, I beg you, Father, he's talking to Abraham, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house because I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Five minutes after he died, the rich man had complete clarity about what mattered most. And it wasn't his money, and it wasn't his house, and it wasn't his job, and it wasn't his stuff, and it wasn't the school he went to, and it wasn't the city he lived in. The thing that mattered most to him was his family, the people he loved. And he said, I am stuck. My eternity is sealed. But I beg you, go back to my five brothers and plead with them to live for God today. Because I don't want them where I am. I want them where you are. I asked the question as we started out, how does that day affect this day? You see, the, the rich man spent eternity with regret because of the choices that he made when he was alive. And we're alive for the blink of an eye in the grand scheme of eternity, but the choices we make in this life will either fill us with regret in the afterlife or with joy and gratitude. So I want to ask you this morning, if you were to die today, and I don't mean to be morbid, and I'm not saying you're going to, but if you were to die today, would you have any regret? Regret about a job that you're in, or a job that you didn't take, or the amount of time you spend at work as opposed to the amount of time you spend with your family? Would you have regret about the adventures that you should have gone on, that you sensed God calling you to, that you just didn't jump at because you thought, I'll do it next time. I'll do it next year. I'll do it next season. Will you be filled with regret about relationships that are broken? People who have hurt you that you haven't been able to forgive or people that you've hurt that you have not asked for forgiveness. Maybe a son or a daughter that you are estranged from, maybe a mom and a dad that you blame for everything that happens to you as an adult. 
if you were to die today, would you have regret? Because a life fully surrendered to God is a life that is regret-free. God's great desire for us is that we would not be people who live with regret, but that we would be people who live in freedom, with joy, with purpose, with passion. When I was 17 years old, God got a hold of me. I was out in the field, and, and he just—I read a Bible story. Someone told me about God, and it all clicked. And I had what I call one of my three big faith awakening moments. And I said, God, wherever you lead me, I will go. When you say jump, I'll say how high. When you say go, I'll say how fast. When you say stop, I'll hit the brakes. But I want what you want more than I want what I want for my life. And every good thing that's happened in my life has come when I lived up to that promise to God. When I fully surrendered to God and I did what he said to do and I went where he said to to go. I, I have my wife because I lived up to that promise. I have this job because I lived up to that promise and I love my job because I love you. I was going to be a principal, and it would have been great to be a principal, but man, I can't imagine being a principal. I get to be a pastor. My brother says I work one day a week. I have the best job in the world. I have friends because I lived up to that promise. I have amazing kids because I lived up to that promise. I've gone around the world because I lived up to that promise. And I'll say this, every regret that I have in my life come from times where Either I didn't live up to that promise or someone else didn't live up to that promise. To fully surrender to God. Because I blew up at a friend or I held on to unforgiveness or I took the easy way out. Every regret. But God's great desire is that we would be regret-free. And I would say this, even if you're not a Christian, my guess is that Every good thing that's happened in your life has happened because you were living the way that God created you to live. And every bad thing that's happened in your life is because you or someone else has not lived the way God created them to live. And I would, I would venture to bet you that if you opened up your Bible and you read it, you would see that the good things that happened were when you were living in accordance with God's plan for your life, and the bad things were happened happened when you weren't. That's why it's so important to read your Bible every day, because in your Bible are the words of God. So think about it. Think about your biggest regrets in life. Are you holding on to any today? If this was it, if you closed your eyes right now and they opened up in eternity, would there be things you regretted? As we close, I want to give you just a few ways to live fully surrendered to God. And it all starts by having what I would call a turning point decision. Maybe you've been around the church for a long time. I was raised in the church. But it wasn't until I was 17 that I had a turning point decision where I said, God, I'll follow. You lead, I'll follow. Wherever you say to go, that's where I'm going to go. If you've never had a turning point decision in your life, today is the day. The rich man, five minutes after he died, could only wish he had made that decision in life. But he couldn't. Not because God is bad, not because God is vindictive, but because he had chosen to separate himself from God in life, and God allowed him to cement that choice in his death. But you and I don't have to have that regret. We can choose God today. We can surrender ourselves to God now. And when we open our eyes in eternity, we can be filled with incredible 
gratitude. In just a minute, the worship team's going to come and they're going to play a song. And uh, if you've never made that decision, I want you to really reflect on what I'm saying today. Could today be your day to give your life fully to God? Maybe for the first time, or maybe you've been around the church for a long time and you need to have what I call that faith awakening moment or a reawakening moment because you've been living halfway for God. You come, you do the stuff, you sing the songs, you go to the groups, but you aren't fully committed to Him. And maybe today's the day that you recommit yourself to God. A few other ways that you can live fully surrendered to God would be to follow what God says to do. And the first thing God says to do when you become a follower of Him is get baptized. Baptism is an incredible experience where you say in front of a community of people and in front of God, God, I'm living fully surrendered to you. We take you underwater, which signifies you dying to your old way of living. And we raise you up, signifying you being raised to new life. And somehow in a way that's too deep for us to even understand, God says his Holy Spirit comes and he moves in us and he lives with us in a new way when we commit to him in baptism. And if you've never been baptized, on October 21st, we're going to have a baptism service and you could do that. On your Connect card in the part that says Sermon Application, there's a part that says, I want to get baptized on the 21st. Mark that off so we can get you baptized so you can live fully surrendered to God. Another way to surrender yourself is give yourself fully to the process of encountering God. Church is a great way to do that. Personal time reading your Bible and praying is a great way to do that. And I would say one of the key ways to fully surrendering yourself and opening yourself up to God is to join a life group. If there was a better way to do it, I'd tell you, but I don't know a better way to do it. So I'm going to tell you, join a life group. I've never known someone who's joined a life group and gave themselves to the process of encountering God, who at the end said, I regret making that choice. I regret spending that 12 weeks doing that. You may love the curriculum. You may not like the curriculum at the end. You may click with the people. You might not like the people at the end. But I can tell you this. If you commit to giving yourself to the process of encountering God in a life group, you will encounter God in a life group. Because God is just waiting for you. So today's the last day to sign up for life groups. In the seats around you, there are all sorts of life group brochures. If you haven't joined a group yet, when the song plays in just a few minutes, I want you to find the group that's right for you and join it. You sign up on your Connect card where it says, I want to join life group, and there's a blank. You would just sign up right there. It couldn't be easier. Groups start tomorrow. So if you sign up for a group, just go. Don't wait for them to call you. Just go ahead and go join the group. Have a great time. I want to see every single person in our church join a life group because it's the best way to be. And lastly, this. As the team plays the song, I want you to really think, are there any regrets in your life? Are you living with any hurt relationships that you need to fix? Have there been places where God said, go, and you stayed? Or God said, stay, and you went, that you need to remedy? Because God's great desire is that we would be people free from regret. People who have joy and passion and purpose because we've encountered the living God and we're following after him. And so as the team plays, if you haven't joined a group, join a group. If you're deciding to make a decision for Jesus, make that decision now. And if you have some regrets, figure out how you're going to fix those today. I'm going to pray right now. And if you've never made a decision to give your life to the Lord, I'm going to lead you through a simple prayer where you can ask God to be your leader and your savior. And you can commit to him, to following him in a fully surrendered way. So if you've never made that decision, you can just repeat this prayer after me if you sense God calling you. So let's all pray together and then the worship team will play. As our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, 
if you've never made that decision to give your life to God, and I mean fully surrender to him, so that what he says and what he wants is more important than what you say and what you want, if you're ready to make that decision for the first time, or if you need to recommit yourself to God, you can pray this simple prayer. You can repeat these words either in your head or you can whisper them out. You say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross and rose again to bring forgiveness for my sins. And today, I commit my life to following after you. Because I want this life that you've called me to. More than anything, Lord, I want to have a relationship with you that starts today and goes on into eternity. So would you come and would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you show me what it looks like to follow after you every day from this day on? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.